Well, thank you everybody for joining us. I'm Father Chris, one of the Miriam priests, and we're always honored to have you with us as we're continuing our uh, taking you back to seminary. This is our Explaining the Faith series that um, has been going on since COVID began, and we're glad you're with us. Today, we're going back to seminary because they had a lot of courses. My electives, I always chose church history. And of course, it's the history of the church, but also the um, history of the world intertwined because the church is so much a part of that. And so today we're talking about Joan of Arc. And even though, yes, it is Fatima Day, this is May 13th. This is Our Lady's month of May. This is a Saturday, Our Lady's Day. This is an anniversary of Our Lady who first appeared in 1917. And um, we've done so many talks on Fatima that I figured I was going to do something a little different, talk on Joan of Arc, because the connection with Mary is actually very interesting. And so it makes her fiat, makes a very great example of somebody to turn to today um, in our look of the saints. So let us begin with a prayer in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we ask that you send the Holy Spirit down upon us to open our minds and hearts to receive your grace. Mother Mary, wrap your mantle around us on this day of Fatima, the prophecies that you gave us through the children, that we may turn our lives back to God, to repent, to pray, and to follow the lead of Our Lady, and especially through the great example of St. Joan of Arc. And we ask all this through Christ our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, you know, a lot of people don't, they've heard of Joan of Arc. First of all, do you know that that's not her name? There's no city of Arc in France. We think Joan d'Arc, Joan d'Arc, the apostrophe A-R-C, Joan of Arc in English. There is no Arc, and that is not her name. We really don't know what her name is, but what we do have is some of the most documented medieval historical evidence of this person who lived. She affected everything from the course of history, from the battles that were involved between France and England that changed the course of the world, especially in the Hundred Years' War. This little woman who was killed as a teenager to inspiring all kinds of cultural trends like the Bob haircut. The bob haircut that ladies started wearing came from a French Parisian hairdresser in 1909. That was inspired by Joan of Arc. And so this, this saint was killed, though, for being a heretic. So how could you both be a heretic and how could you be a saint? No few people know the whole story. Some people know a little bit that she was burned at the stake. Just go ahead and accuse the church of burning somebody else at the stake. But we got to know the story and what does she mean today? All right. So first of all, there, um, there may be no medieval figure whose life, as I said, is better documented than St. Joan of Arc. Um, the saint, she is the saint of patriotism. Wow, do we need this today in France, England, and the United States, and the Western world. What we're going to talk about today really is a fact of why God is against globalism and a one-world order. Father, stop getting political. Well, guess what? 
Joan of Arc was one of the most political people there ever was. And she was a saint. And so this is really important in today's push towards globalism. And so Joan, a little bit about her. She was a peasant, as most of them are, that become saints. Um, she was born in Champagne, France, in the early 15th century, which is the 1400s. And from a young age, she heard voices. All right. She had very clear voices. Guess who she heard very clearly? They distinguished themselves. St. Michael, St. Gabriel, and then two ancient of most ancient saints, St. Catherine, not of Siena, St. Catherine of Alexandria, and also St. Margaret, but not St. Margaret Mary of the Coke. She came later. It was St. Margaret of Antioch, <clears throat> and they spoke to her. Now, I'm going to give you a quick summary, and then we're going to go back and talk about the detail, because what we have to learn from this is amazing. So in 1428, when she was 13 years old, all right, she received a vision from these saints to go tell the king of France to help him reconquer the kingdom from the invading forces of England and surprisingly Burgundy. Burgundy, well, wait a minute, Father, that's a French region. Yeah, they were traitors. That's just like what is happening when nations turn on themselves and what we in the United States had in the Civil War. And so convict, this is what happened. So convincing members of the court of the king and the church, she went to the king and she was given a small army and she was charged. She basically, basically a teenager charges into battle with a banner. She didn't hold a gun. She had a banner. Jesus and Mary, and a symbol of the Holy Spirit. That's kind of the famous paintings we'll show in a minute that you usually see. But her leadership, her trust in God, she was able to overcome the siege of Orleans, which we get now in Louisiana, New Orleans. That's why the New Orleans Saints football team has the symbol of the French saint symbol on their helmets. People don't even know this. And so uh, this was in 1429. So anyway, Joan and her army went on to win a series of battles so that the king was able to then enter Reims and to be crowned as king because the French king um, was not on the throne. The throne was taken by an English king. Very interesting. And we'll, we'll go through that a little bit. But anyway, Joan was recaptured by those traitor forces from Burgundy in May of 1430. And when her own king and army did nothing to save her, she was betrayed. She's the ultimate story of betrayal. And she was sold to the English. So basically she was imprisoned and then put on trial. She was put on trial by a bishop, a French bishop, but not a faithful bishop, a traitor bishop. And uh, he presided over it. It is hope that as if he was harsh with Joan, the English would help him become archbishop. What a, what a snake. And so we see this even within the church. Remember, the church is human and divine. In her divine nature, in her teaching, she will never fail you. Church will never teach heresy. But in her human nature, we can have bad priests, bad bishops that are misteaching the truth. We got some bishops right now. Pray for those in Germany. A couple of them right here in the United States. 
And so this is what it was. So Joan was condemned to death for heresy, witchcraft, and adultery. So we're going to explain this. So let's look at our next slide. So on May 30th, 1431, and that's going to be her feast day. The reason I'm, I'm talking about it now is because um, we're going to be doing another talk uh, about the Holy Spirit and Pentecost coming up on May 30th next week. So I wanted to jump ahead with St. Uh, Joan of Arc. But she was, there's her feast day, May 30th, and she was burned alive at the stake in Rouen, France. She was only 19. And so... Um, really an amazing story. So again, we're going to go into this, but 30 years after her death, her case was retried and she was fully exonerated. And then in 1920, we had to wait all the way to 1920. She was canonized by Benedict XV. And so now she's the patroness of France, captives, soldiers, and those ridiculed for being pious. And so what an amazing story. So let's talk about this. So um, there's a good story by Father Sean Connolly called Recalling the Glory of St. Joan of Arc. I wanted to borrow a little bit from him, but, you know, for a little bit, some of the basics, and then we'll go deeper. But anyway, um, Pope Benedict XVI said this, one of the most original aspects of this young woman's holiness was a link between mystical experience and a political mission. She, as a Catholic, had a political mission. So do you. Please don't fall into that trap that I can't talk about politics, that our church isn't allowed to discuss politics. No, we do not fund and endorse political parties or political candidates. No, we do not do that. But when political ideologies affect the salvation of souls, pick up your catechism. We must be involved as Catholics. You have the moral responsibility. St. Joan of Arc is a great example. So he went on to say, even the father of American literature, Mark Twain, check this out. Mark Twain, the father of American literature, he wrote a major work on her and considered her to be and in his book, quote, she is easily and by far the most extraordinary person the human race has ever produced. I don't think I've ever heard a quote other than like some of the greatest other than Jesus, Mary and Joseph. I've never really heard that. And Mark Twain says she is easily and by far the most extraordinary person the human race has ever produced. Wow, what a comment. The, even the Hungarian revolutionary, Louis Kosuth, he agreed because he said, since the writing of human history began, Joan of Arc is the only person of either sex who has ever held supreme command of the entire military forces of an entire nation at the age of 17. Never happened before, never happened again. This farmer's daughter from a small village, Domremy in France, Domremy, went on to become famous all over Europe and the savior of a nation before being captured, condemned, and burned at the stake, as we said. 
Now, upon her death, even King Henry of England, his secretary, wrote, We are lost. We have just burned a saint. And so basically everyone recognized there was something special about her and that God was working in her. But it reminds me of Jesus. Basically, forgive them, Father. They do not know what they are doing. And that's what those who killed her. Um, But how could a mere teenager reverse the tide of human history? All right. Now, the church court that condemned her uh, was corrupt and controlled by her nation's enemies. Right, by France's enemies. So France was, was, Eng, uh, was uh, Catholic. Now, England was Catholic too at the time. Now, this was before the Reformation. All of Europe was Catholic. And so despite this, though, we should be like her and never lose faith in the church. The divine mandate is held by the church, she said, even with the mistakes of the humanness inside the church. So she said about Jesus Christ and the church, I simply know that they are one. So she's saying, even though the church condemned me, it's the human failure within it, not the teachings of it, not the graces that come from it. And that's why so many people leave the church today and they point to things that are are dumb things that we do. Um, You know, and this is true. We've done some stupid things. But it doesn't take away that the church still has the truth and the grace for salvation, despite the brokenness of its human members. Okay, the church is human and divine, just like Jesus. In her divine nature, she will not fail you. In her human nature, she can fail. Not in teaching, not in grace, but in dumb decisions sometimes. All right, now, appeals were made for a re-examination of her case. And Pope Callistus III was quick. He favored the petitions and appointed a commission. Their verdict was accepted in 1456, and they declared the trial was null and void. It was a sham. So this long proceeding collected such evidence. Now get a load of this. They did the study of the trial to see if she was really innocent. And you know what they ended up coming to the conclusion? Not only was she innocent, she was a saint. So the study that was meant to just prove this trial was a sham went and found so much evidence that not only was it a sham, but she was a saint. And that was the evidence that was used to canonize her later in 1920. And this is amazing. Um, And so basically the proceeding collected all the evidence of witnesses and the opinions of theologians, which laid the foundation for her cause for canonization. Now, devotion to Joan grew, especially among soldiers. And over the years played, I mean, this has played a huge role in the life of military people, plays reenacting her life, the victories on the battlefield. This became staple part of the French culture. Boy, pray for France. I still keep saying something special is going to happen in France, England, and Ireland. I'm telling you, it it just is. And last week we talked about Ireland. The year or week before was France. Now we're back on France again. So 1920, finally, 
Pope Benedict XV raised her to the altar as a saint, as we said. She had many important lessons that we need to learn from today, even though she was only a teenager. So let's look at our next slide. In 1412, the Hundred Years' War, you probably heard the term, Hundred Years' War. That was the war between France and England, had been already going for 75 years. And so this was going on. So the conflict began basically back in the 1330s when King Edward III of England. Now check this out. You ever wonder why there's so much confusion? It's very simple. King Edward III of England, his mother was a French princess. This is where all the confusion gets. So he declared himself the ruler of France because his mom was a French princess, but he was the king of England. So he says, well, hey, you know, my mom was uh, really, you know, she was the French princess. So I'm also the king of France. But there was already a French king. So this, this causes some major confusion. So battles over these rival claims to the throne of France continued for 100 years. All because of Edward's mom was a French queen or a princess. Now, in Joan's early part of this, she lived in the middle of this. Her childhood in England, she had um, experienced the English now kind of taking the upper hand. So Joan was three years old when England began to really push, and they overtook Normandy. Later, we know the Normandy from the Battle of D-Day. And so the, the traitorous um, region, uh, the House of Burgundy, united with England. That would be like Texas uniting with China. I mean, this was something that just didn't happen. And Father, again, stop being political. Where you're going to see hands, the hand of God in all this, and we're going to see where the hand of God is needed in today's whole, whole mess that we got going on in international geopolitical events in the world. And so basically, Charles VII, all right, now, he was basically the one who claimed from the French side that he was the king. And according to a treaty upon his death, they said, no, the king is now from England. Now we're on Henry V. All right, so now Henry V. So it went from King Edward III. Now we go a few kings. Now Henry V gets in there. And he says, we are the kings of France. So now you got Henry V in England claiming he's the king of France. And you got Charles VII, who's basically from France and the House of Orleans. And they're saying, no, I'm the king of France. And so this House of Orleans rejected the House of Burgundy and they're being traitors. Now they would continue to take up fighting and they would not sell out. So the House of Orleans were the brave ones standing up for the French king. Now, the odds, however, were against them. So here comes England and their allies with the House of Burgundy right inside France, and they began to control France, including Paris. Things looked totally bleak, and they gave up the fight. I always tease, sounds like the French, giving up the fight, surrender, surrender. No, something else happens here. So all of a sudden it looks bleak, they give up the fight, just like we are today. We feel like there's no way to put Pandora back in the box. There's no way we are ever gonna reverse defining marriage between a man and a woman. There's no way we're gonna ever be able to stamp out abortion. 
Pandora's box has been open. What's the use? What's the use? Give up the fight. Well, here comes a teenage girl and the world was about to change. So one day this teenage girl somehow through her perseverance got an audience with the king saying she was sent from God. All right. Now today we would say like, okay, she's a nut. It was the Blues Brothers. We're on a mission from God. So that's basically what she did. So she was told, and this is interesting. So she was told how to see her country liberated and Charles from France, the king, true king, crowned king. So this little woman, Joan of Arc, right? She listening to the voices of St. Michael, St. Gabriel, St. Catherine, and St. Margaret. Now, here's what happened. The saints made known to Joan a special mission God had for her. She was to save France. She spoke with detail to the king, and the king said that what she told me in private could only have come from divine sources. So Joan's response is basically the stuff saints are made out of. All right. She did not waver. She did not doubt God. And she could have easily rationalized it that I'm just this peasant girl. I'm nothing. I'm nobody. That I can't do anything for my country, just like Faustina. Jesus wanted Faustina to paint an image, but she wasn't an artist. St. Faustina wanted her to declare a feast of divine mercy in the church, yet she had no authority. She knew no one in the hierarchy of the church. And then Jesus said, I want you to spread divine mercy all around the world. She was a cloistered nun. And then Jesus told her, if you don't do these things, you're responsible for thousands of souls. Wow. Thanks, Jesus. <laughs> like, like, I mean, I would be up there bargaining with God. If God says to me that, you know, I want you to reach to the highest heights, I'd be like, Father, I'm only five and a half feet tall. How am I going to do that, God the Father? If he says to me, well, I want you to go and do all these things and do all these things, I'd be like, I can't. I can't speak foreign languages. I, I, I don't have these gifts. But God somehow uses. He somehow uses this. In our weakness, that's what gives him the most glory. Here you have this teenage girl. And what you're about to hear is how she changed the world. She did not doubt. With childlike simplicity, she accepted God's will and the determination to accomplish it. Joan is a great model of Catholic action, just like the Blessed Virgin Mary. Let's look at our next slide. Joan did not protest like Zechariah, Zechariah, all right? She did not so much protest her task. She didn't even like Mary who asked, how was this possible, right? Mary didn't doubt. Mary just was asking how it would unfold. But Joan, she had, among other things, never ridden a horse or shot a bow. And yet God's asking her to be a warrior. So all she said was, if God commands it, I will do it. And the saints told her that God commands it. So she said, I will do it. If we all had that attitude, instead of, I can't do this, I can't do that, I'm unable to do this, I can't do that, 
If we actually said, if it's God's will to be done, we can do it. She was also a mystic. She had a contemplative part of her. Upon hearing these voices of the saints, she made a vow of virginity. And she redoubled her prayers, relied on the church. So Benedict XVI later said, her immediately response, her yes, her fiat, and her vow of virginity with a new commitment to sacramental life and prayer, daily participation in mass, frequent confession and communion, and long periods of silent prayer before the crucified one or the image of Our Lady showed who she was. <clears throat> she was a living example of Mary. She's an embodiment of Mary. This is Mary in a other than Mary sense. And this is interesting because one of the most original aspects of this young woman's holiness was not just the fact that she sat in a convent, but the church recognizes her for her link between the mystical prayer and her political action. Ah, surprising to some of you. When I look at all the letters that I get screaming at me with capital letters and exclamation points, stop being political. Talk to Joan of Arc. Because she did what was commanded by God to save the boundaries of her nation. Joan's mission began in 1429. Now we're on to Henry VI. Earlier, I just mentioned Henry V. Next king, Henry VI, was king of France, even though he was from England. On the other hand, Charles VII was still considered himself to be the rightful, uncrowned king of France. So Joan knew she had to get with him, and she could begin to lead the French army. It sounds crazy. You're talking to a 16-year-old girl who's never ridden a horse, never fired a bow, and she's going to lead the French army? Well, Charles, King Charles, who was not on the throne, wanted to test Joan. So you know what he did? He invited her to come. And he dressed up as a peasant. When Joan entered, Charles was hiding among the rest of the people, dressed as an ordinary person. And there was somebody else dressed as him, the king. He did this as a test. So Joan ignored the man dressed as the king. And she went right to the peasant and knelt at him and went straight to his feet. That's how he knew this woman is genuine. This impressed everyone. And then she began to speak. <clears throat> And people became more and more impressed and confident about her. They believed her mission was genuine and was from God in a decision that is too strange for fiction. You couldn't write a story like this. All right. Charles sent Joan off to the battlefield with a special, they call it a, a standard. It's like a, a sign um, that made for her that bore the holy names of our Lord and our lady. It just said, Jesus and Maria, so Jesus and Mary. And she was sent to the battlefield. Now her presence there at the army 
brought marvels. Most people would think that they would shun her or even do bad things to her. But the soldiers became more disciplined and stopped swearing. They became much more affectionate. They called her La Pucille, the maid. That means virgin. So let's look at our next slide. So following her into battle, the soldiers of France began to win victory after victory. These soldiers were transformed. You know, it reminds me from time to time I've told the story of anybody here seen that great docu-series or um, uh, mini-series, Jesus of Nazareth? It's still my favorite of all of them. And Jesus of Nazareth, it was made in 1976. And the woman who played Mary, I remember from just being a little kid watching that, Olivia Hussey, I think her name was. And when I remember as a little kid watching her, I was just fixated. Like she was Mary. They just found this perfect actress. And by the way, we're going to have her as a guest on our EWTN show. She's still alive, living out in California. And then they brought on Robert Powell to play Jesus. Have you ever seen Jesus on Jesus of Nazareth? Same thing. When I was a kid watching that, and you looked into those piercing eyes of Jesus and Jesus of Nazareth, I was six years old and I was like, I'm, I'm going to be good. I'm going to be good. <laughs> and they said that when Robert Powell came onto the set, this was an Italian film crew, a union film crew. And on that set, they weren't Catholic film crews. They were a union film crew. That's the laws in Europe and in Italy. They had to use this union film crew. And on the set was nothing but pornography, drugs, alcohol, swearing, blasphemies. Robert Powell didn't do anything. He just walked on that set. And when they shot that first scene of him as Christ, the entire crew had a transformation. They threw away all the pornography. They threw away all the alcohol. There was no more swearing. And that was because they truly believed Christ was present on the set. When Joan of Arc came to these soldiers, they believed Mary was present. That she is this little teenage pure girl sworn to virginity present among them. So they took up the, the name Jesus and Mary. And they began... Her presence completely reversed the course of the war in France's favor and changed history. Joan first wanted to come to the aid of the large, beleaguered city of Orleans that we just mentioned. The English had it surrounded and cut off from all food supplies. It was basically falling. Joan's arrival brought a great boost in the city's morale. And before she charged into battle with them, she first appealed to the king, English king, for peace. Always first strive for peace. And it was rejected. Then she urged the first soldiers, the French soldiers, 
So after she tried for peace, begging the, the English for peace, they said no. She urged the French soldiers to advance on the English forts. Let's take a look. This is the famous picture, painting, that you see of Joan of Arc. She was more than a figurehead. She took charge. She rushed into battle, carrying that standard, that, that battle sign. Amazingly, the English were defeated. The siege was lifted, and all the surrounding forts were captured. The voices of the saints told Joan more victories would follow, but that she would not last. It's kind of like Christ. Undaunted, she urged more and more campaigns. They, she had a decisive victory at Patai. And with this, she pressed for the immediate coronation of King Charles VII again. So we're still trying to get this French king on the throne. Normally, it was done at Reims. Now, I'm going to explain in a minute what all this meaning of significance and symbolism was. Right now, you're probably saying, Father, are you endorsing battle? No, we're not. But we're going to tell you in a minute what the saints said. So basically, she talks King Charles VII at Reims into being coronated. All right, the coronation. It was a powerful statement to England and to the traitors at Burgundy that France would never accept a foreign king. That's what we here in the United States and the Western world need to stand up. We cannot allow this freedom of worship to be taken from us. So there was a newfound resiliency of the French army and they became again more victorious. So Charles VII was crowned King of France in the city's cathedral in July 1429. I had the pleasure of being there in that spot. Now Joan was standing by his side, holding her same sign. Now of this accomplishment, Benedict XVI commented. So he didn't say this is terrible, they shouldn't have defended France. That's not peace. Uh-uh. Benedict XVI said, Her holiness and her fortitude, that's courage, is a beautiful example for lay people in, to engage in politics. Oh, my. Did you hear that? Especially in the most difficult of times. Hmm. But as the voices of the saints kept being made known to her, she would not last much longer, but she continued to fight. She pressed King Charles, and he reluctantly gave her a very inadequate force to go liberate Paris. Now, Paris is under siege. The attack on Paris failed. So God's going to give a dose of reality. And Joan was wounded with an arrow in her thigh that became infected. And the voices of the saints announced her time was up. Wow. So contrary to Joan's advice, King Charles agreed to a truce with the English. Here's the saint saying, don't. He disbanded his army and attempted in vain to negotiate selling out France. And with it, the faith. So after being wounded, 
Joan of Arc was captured and held as a prisoner by the Duke of Burgundy, again, the traitor region of France. And so the ungrateful King Charles now made no attempts to save her. After all she did to get Charles to the throne, Charles VII, he's ungrateful, made no attempts to get her freedom, just like Christ must have felt betrayed by his apostles. After all I've done for you, you run away? But even God forgives. Yeah, although Joan discouraged the cult that developed around her, Charles became jealous of her. This is what it was all about, jealousy. So the English bought Joan from the Duke of Burgundy for what today would be half a million dollars. They bought a teenage girl for half a million dollars. The Duke then sold her to the English and they set up a trial. They wanted to condemn her. Now what they condemned her of was being a heretic and a witch. How? How would they do that? Well, this is interesting. Eager to execute her and discredit Charles, the claiming to be king of France, the English put her up in this sham trial, as I said. And it was presided over by French bishops who were puppets of the English regime. Does that sound familiar? Kind of like the China bishops or puppets of the Communist Party put in place as puppets of a government. This is what we have to stand against. I love my church. The church teaches the truth. The church will never mislead you or misteach you or lead you away from Christ. But if there's one thing I do not understand, and I ask God for the wisdom, is what she is doing with the church in China. I do not understand it. But I surrender. I surrender to God. There's something I must not know. So anyway, charges of witchcraft, sorcery, and heresy were leveled against her. Why? Okay, this is fascinating. When she was little, the report, she was born on the Epiphany, and her whole village came together at the joy of her birth, and roosters began, who were usually quiet in the winter, they didn't crow in the winter, they crowed and flapped their wings for two days. <coughs> <clears throat> so they knew there was something about this. Half the people thought she's, she's of heavenly things, and the other people thought she's of the bad spirit. So as a girl, it was said that she was able to summon birds from the sky right to her finger and feed them in her hand. When she ran in the fields with her playmates, her feet didn't touch the ground. So now you can kind of see where some are going to say she's a witch. Doves appeared over her head. 
Someone saw a priest present to her a consecrated host and an unconsecrated host, and she identified the consecrated one every time. Interesting because before you become a wizard in the Church of Satan, they'll put a hundred hosts on a table. Ninety-nine are unconsecrated and one is consecrated. You have to pick out which one is consecrated. Even the demons know God is real, and even Satanists know God's present in the Eucharist. And before you become a high wizard, out of a hundred hosts on the table, only one is consecrated, 99 are not, you have to pick out the one that is consecrated. And they do. Um, we, Zachary King, who we did a show with, told us all about that. So others declared that she controlled the weather, causing it to hail on the French, not loyal to Charles. You know what's interesting here? All these things I'm reading, they said Mary did the same thing. If you read, um, Brother Mark tells me about it. I've not had a chance to read it, but Brother Mark has read it. Mystical City of God by Mary Agretta. Mary could change the weather. So these are not evil things, but it scared people into claiming they were evil. So these tales, they fired, the heart, fired up the French. They knew that she was good, but they fed the English superstitions. And it was not difficult, as I said, to understand why many English became to view her as a witch. She was not. She denied any counsel. And despite illness and ill treatment in prison, including attempts to poison her and to rape her, she kept calm, confident, and full of grace. She was nevertheless found guilty of heresy. And you know why she was finally burned? Because you know something about heresy? You know, people, they throw around the term all the time. You're a heretic. You're a heretic. Do you know that the definition of heresy, if you make one statement and somebody misreads it, if you want to see an example, just, just look at our videos online. You'll see, okay, I'll give you an example. St. Ambrose said, God become, became man so man could become God. He did not mean it that we become a member of the Trinity. It meant that we share in the divine nature. So this person writes in great big capital letters, exclamation points, this man, talking about me, is a heretic. First of all, it was said by a saint. Second of all, do you know one of the, the needed things for heresy is it has to be repetitive. You have to be teaching contrary to the teachings of the church. Now, just because something is in the, not in the Bible does not mean it's contrary to the teaching of the church. Okay? Um, but heresy has to be repetitive. So they couldn't get her on heresy. They couldn't formally charge her by their own rules of the church by heresy because they did not have a repetitive pattern of her misteaching and going against the teachings of the church. So you know what they got her on? You know what they finally condemned her on? Cross-dressing. Wearing men's clothes. And ironically... There are those in the transgender movement today that are trying to use her as their patron saint. 
It is not the story. What happened? Yes, they charged her wearing men's clothes. You know why? Yes, this was a practice that she did on the battlefield and when she was kept in prison to protect her chastity. If there would have been obvious that she was a pretty woman, you might have had a thousand good soldiers, but you would have had that one bad one that saw her from a distance and tried to violate her chastity at night inside one of the soldiers' tents or something. So she wore men's clothing to blend in, to protect her chastity. And now you've got this crazy movement trying to say that she's a patron of the transgender movement? So the clerics who ran this trial were opposed to her politically. They had their minds made up. She was guilty. It was a sham, as we said. Again, back to Benedict XVI, who really talked a lot about her. And he said, this trial was a distressing page in the history of holiness and also an illuminating page on the mystery of the church which, according to the words of the Second Vatican Council, Lumen Gentium 8, is at once holy, but always in need of purification. So Benedict is saying, yeah, this was not a good time in the church, what it did. So am I going to get up here and always defend the church in its teachings? Absolutely. Am I not going to admit that the church has done some dumb things in their decisions? Absolutely we are. And so did Benedict. So let's look at our next slide. So Brother Mark put up the next slide. So you can see here, that's the famous picture of her riding the horse in armor. And in the left is her being burned at the stake. So she was burned at the stake in ruined France. And as the flames consumed her, She called on the name Jesus. The name Jesus on her lips at the moment she died, she gave up her soul. She was 19. She died on May 30th, 1431. Now they threw her ashes in the Seine River, which we shouldn't do, but... So let's look at our next slide. This is her... Known in her home country of Joan d'Arc, but again, that's not a place. She fought the good fight. And there you see her years that she lived. Again, Benedict. He said, like the crucifixion, they did not know that they were condemning a saint. 20 years later, though, at the request of her mother, The case, as I said, was reopened by the church, and later she was cleared of all charges. And not only was she cleared, it opened up the way for her canonization. Not until 1920 was she canonized, but we're going to show a quick video that's only a minute and a half, and we're going to show the three miracles for her beatification before her canonization. So let's take a quick second as Brother Mark shows this minute and a half video that shows the three miracles miracle she had for beatification and I want to come back and tell you something interesting about all three. For the beatification of Joan of Arc, all the corresponding procedures had to be done like with any saint. 
and the Vatican Medical Commission had to recognize three miracles as inexplicable to science. The first one was of the Benedictine sister of the convent of Orleans, Teresa de San Agustin, who was instantly cured of a stomach ulcer, which she had suffered for three years, the doctors having already given up hope for her recovery and she having received the last sacraments prior to death. Her sisters made a novena to Joan of Arc. During the novena, she got out of bed, attended mass and felt suddenly healed. It was the year 1900. The second one was of Sister Julia Gautier de San Norberto of the Sisters of Divine Providence, who was in favorolis and had for 10 years an incurable spongy ulcer in her left breast with great pain, and she had lost all hope of being cured. She was also instantly cured in 1893. The third one was of the Sister Juana Maria Sagnier from the Congregation of the Holy Family, who was residing in the town of Frugis and for three years, she had suffered intolerable pain in both legs from ulcers and abscesses that increased every day. Her diagnosis was chronic tuberculosis osteoperiostitis. On the fifth day of the novena to St. Joan of Arc, she got up healed. It was November 6, 1891. In the house of the sisters in Frugis, there is a plaque commemorating this supernatural healing, thus recognized by the Vatican Commission. Okay, see, so if you caught one thing on that video that I think is fascinating, all three of her miracles that were approved for her beatification were nuns. I don't see that very often. A lot of time it's a priest or even a lay person. These were all three nuns. And so what a great testimony of the truthfulness of those miracles. Because You're not going to have these nuns lying about something like that. So what a story. All right, now to finish, um, there are a lot of distortions about her. Like any good saint, like Faustina's facing right now, they're going to get attacked. Uh, I'm getting a lot of letters again. That Faustina video that's so full of fallacy, false, false statements, and outright, where they come up with these things, I have no idea. And in, in, in probably over 100 of you written to me already, please, Father, address this. We will be addressing it. But that video's back up. It's, it's basically calling St. Faustina a heretic. It's, it's saying divine mercy is of the devil. And so many of you, please don't fall for this. Um, I had several letters. I'm no longer following the Catholic Church. I knew none of this stuff. Um, I got to respond to that. And so please don't be so quick to believe everything you hear. Go to the teaching of the church. If the church says she's a saint, you're guaranteed that the church has done a lot more praying, research, and evidence than the person next door to you that's telling you they're a heretic. Or two guys in a farmhouse that call themselves monks that have no affiliation with the Catholic church whatsoever are calling Faustina a heretic. You want to know heretic? They're the heretics. They're not in union with, with Rome. And so be careful. So anyway, there's a lot of attacks on St. Joan. Some call her a radical feminist. <clears throat> this interpretation ignores completely her desire to consecrate her virginity. If you're a consecrated virgin, you are not a radical feminist. All right? G.K. Chesterton wrote, it was exactly the sort of person, 
like Joan of Arc, who did not know why women wore skirts, who was most justified in not wearing one. Again, she was trying to protect her chastity. She wasn't a radical feminist. She wasn't a transgender, which they're trying to turn her into. Her bob haircut, I admit, she looked like a little boy. Again, to protect her chastity. That's how the bob came about, as I mentioned earlier. Her motives were never to make it in, to make it big in a man's world, she tried to refuse her mission. But when the saints told her it's of God and it's God's command, she said, I will do it. Once Charles, the king of France, had, was crowned, she wanted to go back to her normal life on the farm. Her childhood was very feminine. One given to training in the arts, sewing, and making a home. Not only, and something that is condemned by our society today, not only was Joan domestic, she exhibited none of the sexual license of a feminist. The testimony from all the soldiers and officers whom she lived with in close quarters described her as totally modest. And by the way, I'm going to be doing a talk on modesty. This is something that even Mary spoke about in Our Lady of Good Success and the importance of proper dress and reverence, especially like in the church, and the importance of modesty. I hope you'll get your teenagers to watch it. We'll be doing that soon. But anyway, the soldiers and the officers described her as modest, and they said it influenced their behavior, just like the filming crew on Jesus of Nazareth. In the French army, she chased the prostitutes away from the camp with her sword. <laughs> Can you imagine? <laughs> These prostitutes were coming into the French camp, the army camp. She'd come chasing after them with a sword. God bless her. They charge her, therefore, in today's world as being prudish. Man, if we had more like her. She was charged of being prudish. Those are usually the ones who just can't understand the vow of virginity. That's really what that is. Jones, her soldiers, however, understood her vow of virginity, and it was never violated. They knew her heroic virtue, and it inspired them to love and follow her. Her effect on what she did changed the world, but still others attack her. Others attack her and say she was a proto-Protestant, that she went against the church. No, she loved the church and her sacraments. Among her first acts of commander was establishing the practice of mass attendance. She made the soldiers go to Mass. It's amazing. You know, it's funny because I, I, I'm a hockey fan, and the greatest teams I ever watched were the powerhouse Montreal Canadiens. Before I even knew what hockey was in the late 70s, early 80s, they called them the Flying Frenchmen. 
How applicable to the story of France that we're talking about now? How far we have come in just such a couple of decades? One day I got a phone call from this one woman who wanted to support our mission to build a new monastery. And we're, we're praying for your, we ask for your prayers to help us build a new monastery. And she said, I live in Quebec and my name is Mimi Pollock. God bless her. And I said, well, Mimi, I said, the Montreal Canadiens used to have a general manager named Sam Pollock. I said, he was the most amazing man ever to run a, a, a sports team, ever. The championships that he won, I said, are you any relation? She goes, he was my husband. And then she went on to tell me that he had every hockey player. This is the NHL come in a suit and tie and attend mass before every game. Can you imagine? And we wonder what has happened to the world. Now we worship these sports athletes as God instead of the sports athletes actually going to mass and worshiping the true God. Guy Lafleur. Mario Tremblay, Ken Dryden, Serge Savard, Guy Lapointe, uh, Brian Engblom, Larry Robinson, Bob Gainey. These were all my favorite players. They all had to go to mass in a suit and tie before each game. Now, you never see something like that. That's how far we have fallen, and we're wondering why we're in the state we're in. And so this is what the soldier saw in her. And this is powerful because there's nothing in her testimony that contradicts church teachings, yet they say she wasn't really Catholic. And all throughout her trial, she defended the authority of the Pope. And she said that to the soldiers, you've got to receive the sacraments. She defended the Pope. There are other errors about Joan. That she was a nationalist and a heroine of the working classes and a revolutionary toppling the feudal order. This is not true. If these were true, Joan's motives, why didn't she have Charles VII ascend to the throne and be coronated as king? It's because those were holy kingdoms. And do you know a lot of prophecies? Do you know, if you watch my um, talk here on this YouTube channel called The End Times, they've gotten over a million views. End Times Part 1, 2, and 3, I talk about the prophecy of a great French monarch that will, at the end of time, towards the end, will raise again in authority and bring Europe back to Christ. That's why I keep saying something is going to happen in Ireland, England, and France. And so this was talked about, this French monarch. All the great prophets of the Catholic Church, canonized saints, talk about this. If you want to see more, you can find it on my talks there. So why did she want to leave behind the political world, as some say she did, 
of Charles's court and return to peasant life if she didn't make such a stand. She did. Her sainthood derives from her willingness to imitate the Blessed Virgin Mary <coughs> in accepting the will of God and letting nothing get in her willingness, in the way of her willingness to imitate Mary in accepting the will of God and letting nothing get in the way of that will no matter how difficult it seems. We are at that point in human history right now. It seems extremely difficult. Most improbable, of course, is the thought that a teenage girl with no military experience, no training, could lead an army of thousands and change the course of human history in the Hundred Year War, which is what she did. She changed the course of history, and Catholicism remained on the continent because right after that, England turned to Protestantism. And France upheld Catholicism. Now we're losing it because France is falling. If you are watching from France, pray for your country. If you're watching from the United States, pray for our religious freedoms. She did. And so these she accomplished at the age of 19. Before most of us, when I was 19, I was waiting tables and... You know, I was a waiter and taking classes. I, I didn't do anything like this. And she was the youngest person ever to command a nation's army, and not nearly as a figurehead or a cheerleader, but as an actual battlefield commander who took charge of the strategic and tactical employment of her forces. Amazing. She restored morale to the French army, kept it high, largely by insisting that her soldiers conduct themselves like Christians, and also by taking her place in the battle. All right, last paragraph, two paragraphs. Joan's extraordinary skill as a commander was not limited, though, just, just being her technical and tactical ability to fight a war. Look at this next slide. Brother Mark can show it. She said, all battles are first won or lost in the mind. So it just wasn't about a sword she was grabbing. She knew prayer and prudence were the key. To this day, some say that her actions were not, really didn't bring about the end of the war and the change of Europe history. But they did. Some say they didn't. God sent Joan to rid France of what would become Protestant ideology. God's time is not our time. It didn't happen right away. God chose to take three decades more to bring Joan's work to fruition. Look at St. Faustina. St. Faustina, it looked like all her work was undone. It was banned. Faustina's work was banned from 1959 to 1978. 60 years. 50 years after. Exactly 50 years. She died in 1938. So her, her, the ban remained all the way up to 50 years after her death. God takes his time. Then the translation was clarified, and it was lifted. So don't fall again for that phony video out there. One guy attacked me online saying, Pius XII, the great last pope, there's been no other pope since him, was the one who banned it. And he said, I know it's a true ban because Pius XII was the last true pope. You know what? Pius XII didn't ban it in 1959. He died in 1958. 
So I wrote back and I said, I'm sorry, but please don't spread false information. You keep saying Pius XII banned it, and since he was the last true pope, this ban is authentic. First of all, the ban was in 1959. Pius XII died in 1958. So, God takes his time. Skeptics, cynics, and other non-believers look for other causes to shun her and to say that the, she had no effect on the war. Yes, she did. It is true that England did recapture some of the lost uh, towns that they suffered during the war, but basically the unstoppable English army was stopped and Catholicism survived. And St. Joan of France's great myth, which people say was a myth, yeah, you could call it that, but this myth was true. This myth was true. Her story drives home the merits of what? Obedience, trusting God, fortitude, and perseverance. And so I finish because right now our kids are being taught to hate our country. Children of the West are being taught the evils. God loves particular places such as France and particular people such as the French. God makes his presence known in particular countries to particular people. What did he tell Faustina? I have a special place in my heart for Poland. Did he say, well, there's no borders. It's going to be called the European Union. No, he said, I have a love for the nation of Poland. Sovereignty. Right now, our sovereignty is being taken away. This kind, this is True patriotism was taught by Christ. It stands in contrast to this false globalism that informs much of our modern political talk today. The globalism and the one world government is not the teaching of Christ. It is not. Just read the diary of St. Faustina. You know, here was a great quote from Philip Hughes in his book, Popular History of the Catholic Church. Listen to this. England was engaged in one of the greater wickednesses of its long history in that succession of pillaging raids on France that goes by the name of the Hundred Years' War and the losses to Catholicism that ensued. From a Catholic nation's power, which was England, they were still Catholic technically, they were falling away, their plundering of a neighbor Catholic country, France, were such that in the end, God's providence intervened, intervened directly. And to rid the country of the scourge, God sent the inspired generalship of a peasant girl, St. Joan of Arc, who no one would have expected. So don't think you can't make a difference. You can, if even a peasant girl can. It says something to us that a great saint accomplished so much in defense of a unique people, the Catholic French, of their land and of their blood, that perhaps the modern revolutionary aspirations of a universal empire, a one world government, are not part of God's plan. Huh. Rather, the little spot of land 
upon which we happen to live is the place designated for us by God to live out our salvation. He said this to Faustina about Poland. He said this to Joan of Arc about France. And I believe he's saying it to us in the United States about America. From outer space, our own little villages seem small and insignificant. But we can reflect on what Joan fought and died for, a small and little insignificant place in France. And thank God for our small and insignificant place, for our unowned soil that blood was spilled for. So let us pray. Let us pray for our nations, our free world. And let's look at our next slide because this is St. Joan of Arc. That's the most famous image you see of her, that the painting that, that looks like her, they think. So pray for our nation and our world, especially with all that's going on with the de-dollarization and all the threats to our well-being. And I want to finish with the Novena prayer. And it'll be on your screen there if you can read it with us. And you'll see it on your screen. Let's finish with a prayer for the intercession of St. Joan of Arc. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. St. Joan of Arc, patron of France, loved and I'm sorry, this is too small, I can't see it. There we go. Loved, boy, I'm sorry, St. Joan of Arc, patron of France, loyal and courageous saint, I ask you now to fight this battle with me by prayer, just as you led your troops to victory in battle. You who were filled with the Holy Spirit and chosen by God, help me this day with the favor I ask. And here, pray for your own personal intention. Grant me by your powerful intercession the courage and strength I need to endure this constant fight. O oh, Saint Joan, help me to be victorious in the task that God presents to me. I thank you and ask you for your continuing protection of all God's people. Amen. Saint Joan of France, pray for us. God bless all of you. Thank you for joining us. We're very grateful that we have saints like this to go before us. And that in our troubled times, we can ask for their intercession. We're in a time where we need prayer of each other. And that's why I always am promoting, Brother Mark can show, join our Marian family. It doesn't cost a penny. I don't care if you ever donate a dollar. As I always say, you always hear me say, yes, we got to keep the lights on. We got to pay for our travel. We got to do this. But if God inspires you to help us in that, that's wonderful. God bless you. You were chosen. But most importantly, become a member of the Marian family. MICprayers.org. You can go there. It only takes 10 seconds. It doesn't cost anything. You don't have to donate. You just have to be willing to pray for us and we pray for you. 
Wouldn't you much rather a million and a half people praying for you? Heaven's going to listen. We want to pray for you. And we want you to pray for us. That's how you build an army. It's not sword. It's not machine gun. It's rosary and prayer. It's our blessed mother right here in Fatima. And it's St. Joan of Arc interceding for us. And so to understand the role of like the Blessed Mother, you can see on my talks, if you, if you, if you miss some of these talks, you can get them on DVD. They're there at shopmercy.org or at 800-462-7426. Or most of all, uh, the next slide is our book, Understanding Divine Mercy. This really helps you to understand what God's mercy is and how we get it. And that, again, also you can get. It. And I tell you what. You can't afford it, but you'll read it, you'll watch it, contact me, and I'll send it to you for free. This is not about making money again. I still say we have to pay the bills, yes. But it's about getting the message of mercy out to you and the world. If you'll read this book, or you know somebody who will and you can't afford it, I will send it for free. Contact my assistant, Peter James, one word, P, uh, Peter James at Marian.org, M-A-R-I-A-N.org. Because if you can't afford it, I will still get it to you. And lastly, the hardest one of all, suffering. Not just suicide, but any kind of suffering. Loss of a spouse, a loved one, economic times hard, lack of being able to pay bills. This book is called After Suicide, There's Hope for Them and You. If Brother Mark can show it, it is not just about suicide. It's about struggling with any kind of suffering or loss, any kind of a death to a loved one. Please get this book. I promise you it will help. I promise. I promise. Because what it shows is God's mercy is greater than anything. And again... If you've experienced a tragic loss, I'll send it to you for free. If you can't afford it, I will send it for free. Or if you know somebody who's lost somebody to suicide, write and tell me, I'll send it for free. This is how we as an army are going to win the battle. Now, we know God wins the war. I've gotten letters before that have said, Father, why do you do all this? We know God wins the war. We know God wins in the end. Why are you killing yourself? Why are you doing this? You know why? Yeah, God wins the war, but how many casualties are we going to have in the meantime? Before the war is over, there will be many souls that will die. Will they be saved or damned? Will they be uh, in heaven or lost? Our job is to, yes, we know God wins the war, but our job is to prevent as many casualties until the end of the war is over. And this is how we do it. Our Marian family. We stand together. We pray for one another. I'm telling you, God is using the Marian fathers and divine mercy right now for this purpose. And he brought you here for a reason. Even if you're just watching this video casually or you stumbled upon it on your suggested videos... One guy wrote a comment. I find it funny. He said, LMAO, which is a bad slur term. How in the world did this end up on my suggested videos? 
And I wrote back real kindly and said, maybe God's trying to tell you something. <laughs> and so I said, God bless you, my friend. But maybe God's trying to tell you something. Pray for each other. Use his church. Open your heart to his grace. Ask for the graces that God gives through his church. And you can be like Joan of Arc, victorious. Praise be to God. Amen. Hallelujah. The Lord be with you. May Almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Go in peace. Thanks be to God. Please follow or subscribe to this podcast to receive the latest episodes and updates. If you have been blessed by this podcast, I invite you to leave a review. Reviews greatly improve our podcast ranking and will help spread this podcast to other people throughout the world. Are you enjoying this podcast? I invite you to listen to more shows brought to you by the Marian Fathers of the Immaculate Conception. Join us daily for enriching spiritual content which will help you on your journey with Jesus Christ. Simply visit divinemercyplus.org for a complete list of our shows. That's divinemercyplus.org. Are you a Marian helper? Join our Spiritual Benefit Society and start sharing in the graces of all the daily masses, prayers, and good works of Marian priests and brothers all over the world. Sign up is free and easy. Simply visit micprayers.org. That's micprayers.org. Thank you, and God bless you.